Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Paul Nichols. I'm the investor coach, and I'm here to pull back the curtain on the financial services industry and expose the truth about money and investing. Many years ago, when we put this uh, originally a radio show together uh, called It's Your Money, it was designed to do just that, to pull back the curtain and help people get a uh, a better understanding of financial markets and how they work. You know, it's so easy to get intimidated and overloaded with the terminology and all the bells and whistles and flashes and and graphs and things when you look on the different financial uh, broadcasts. It, it does uh, intimidate the average uh, sot. And, uh, you know, we uh, come along every so often here to try to add a little enlightenment, if you will, uh, to a complex industry that uh, is very heavily laden with emotion uh, because of how finance is obviously so uh, so closely tied to our lifestyle security and et cetera et cetera uh, we all spend so much of our time energy and effort uh, trading time or whatever it may be for dollars in order to uh, uh, to live a, a comfortable lifestyle and of course we want to be wise about the choices we make when it comes to the market and with that being said, here in the latter part of August in 2020, I would like to do a market update today. Have not done one for a while. I'd like to do that uh, as of August 26 business close. Um, and uh, as I go through this, I'm going to compare it uh, to March 23rd. Why do you say March 23rd? Well, March 23rd was actually the low point uh, in the market for 2020, or we could say uh, the beginning of the COVID uh, uh, crisis um, and I thought it would be interesting to look at uh, how things have changed. And what are we looking at? March 23rd. So we're looking at April, May, June, July, August, basically five months. Uh, and of course, we got an election a couple months from now. And uh, although the market's not showing any indication of anything changing as, uh, as it relates to uh, leadership or, or the administration, or it doesn't seem to be, uh, the market normally figures stuff six months ahead of time. I mean, they're making moves and positioning themselves based on anticipated policy changes and different things like that. Uh, now, a lot of it is speculation, uh, assuming that uh, uh, you know one leader might do something different than another and so on and so forth. Uh, with all that being said, though, uh, it does make uh, election years make things a little bit crazier uh, in the market because people are doing just that. Uh, large investors and so on are, are, are kind of wrapping into all their data and uh, the way that they look at the market, a certain emotional aspect to it. I mean, investor behavior is becoming a significant aspect of our industry because so many people have access to it uh, and so much trading is done. And unfortunately, so much emotional trading is done, which I think I'm going to exemplify right here in the market update. Now, uh, our whole premise is we believe in an academic approach to investing. We believe in the science, and the science is relatively simple. Uh, there's 60 years of academic data to support it uh, from all the major financial institutions, from the University of Chicago to, to Wharton, a school of business, Harvard, Yale. I mean, you, you can go on and on. Uh, Benheim uh, uh, Center for Research, different areas uh, that uh, have notable economic uh, uh, educators or uh, uh, what do you want to call them? Laureates, Nobel laureates, if you will. That is the case in some. Uh, and so the science is out there. It's clear. The studies have been done. Uh, and really, when we look at investing from an academic viewpoint, it's relatively simple. You want to own equities, which is an, another term for stocks. 
you want to diversify, which is own a lot of different things, umbrellas, suntan lotion, and you want to rebalance. And rebalancing is really the hardest part to investing because it's so emotionally tied uh, to the current state of the market. And uh, the, the concept, by the way, of rebalancing is uh, that you own a certain things and whatever those things are that you own from time to time, they go up and down. Hopefully they move in dissimilar price movement, meaning that you have an umbrella, for example, and suntan lotion. You just don't own all umbrellas or all suntan lotion, or maybe you, you, you don't, uh, you, you own 10 different umbrella companies, but it's still umbrellas. There's no suntan lotion, but the concept of diversification, uh, has to be there in order for rebalancing to work. So the idea is when something is up in this case, 2020, uh, us large is up right now. The S and P 500, the Dow, uh, predominantly us large growth companies are up. So you may take some of the money off of the table with those companies, not selling all of them, but selling some of it in order to go and buy things that would be down. And uh, by comparison right now, the inverse in the U.S. of U.S. large would be U.S. small value, which is down. So, uh, for example, U.S. large is up almost 8% year-to-date, where year-to-date small value is down almost 18%. So the concept of rebalancing says let's take some of that 7% gain and go ahead and buy these other things when they're down 15% on sales, so to speak. Uh, now, this only holds true if you stick to it academically long-term. Own equities, diversify, rebalance, which means that we're trying to eliminate uh, the, the three things that really are detrimental uh, to uh, uh, the average American investor, uh, and that would be just about every <laughs> everyone for that matter, and that is stock picking, trying to time the market or market timing, market timing, um, and track record investing. So those are the three things that really get us into trouble. Uh, and, and it's really hard sometimes to discern the difference between a actual academic tenet, an academic reality, own equities, for example, uh, versus speculating. Should I own them now or should I own them later? Should I own them at all and how much should I own? And that gets into be a very complex matter of trying to guess, in essence. Uh, and most often, uh, we guess wrong. It's just the nature of patterning in our, in our human psyche. With all that being said, the idea of what I want to do with the market update is focus on the reality of owning equities, diversifying, rebalancing. We have that here. That would be a um, presupposed uh, determinant of our conversation today. In other words, you own a well-diversified portfolio for this conversation that we're having right now. And so the market update becomes very important because the market update is going to take a look at different segments, I should say indexes, of the global marketplace and say, how are they doing now? Because you should own everything. You should own large U.S. companies and small U.S. companies and value companies, which are different than growth companies. You should have emerging markets and developed markets, and you should have cash, and you should have fixed investments that would be T-bills and, and short-term, uh, really nothing long-term. Uh, academically, th th there's really in the fixed arena, there's nothing really purchased or really held on to that's longer than five years in maturity, and it needs to be very high quality because we want the cash to be good. We want it to be liquid and available when you're ready to do the rebalancing. So with that being said, let's go ahead and talk about the market update. This is, again, as of 
August 26. Now, the U.S. large, which is measured by the S&P 500, which would be 500 U.S. large companies, is up 7.7%. By comparison, on March 23rd, uh, earlier this year, right at the downturn of uh, the market, the COVID deal, so to speak, it was down 31%. So, wow, what an inverse. It's gone from negative 31 to positive 7. Uh, now, I want to take a side note here. It's very interesting. I've been reading some articles recently on the weighting of different companies in the S&P 500, which makes up 500 uh, U.S. companies. And it's normally seen on the nightly news and that type of thing because it is a uh, you know, kind of a good snapshot of where the economic uh, growth is or the ever overall economic health uh, of the country is by looking at 500 different companies. However, what's interesting today uh, is really the hottest area of the market is tech. That's where it's really hot, and it has been for a while. And what we see here, and it's exemplified by this, when we look at the S&P 500 right now, 23% of the weighting of the S&P is in five companies, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, and Google. These five companies make up 23% of the weighting of the S&P 500. Why is that significant? Well, by comparison, if you look at airlines, and this is according to, I need to make sure I reference this, uh, look at the airlines, you're looking at basically 0.18%. And this is all according to a Bank of America strategist a recent article that was written. Uh, and it's interesting because when you look at 23% of the S&P 500 being five companies, let's say you put $100 in there or make it $1,000 to make it easier, uh, that would be $230 would go into those five companies' stock, where by comparison, airline stock, you'd only have basically uh, uh, $1.80 because 0.18% of the S&P is airline stock or Department stores uh, retail by uh, by comparison is 0.1 percent. So, or a really, it would be 10 cents uh, in uh, uh, in the S and P 500 that would be in department stores. So, what we're seeing is a blatant lack of diversification because of the heavy weighting of these five companies and just the sheer wealth that they represent. Now, what does that mean to you, the individual best investor? What that means is, especially when right now U.S. large is really the only hot area, I should say positive area, other than emerging markets, small, that's up, it is very easy for people to gravitate towards up, what's up and sell everything. And then what they end up doing is, is they lose the diversification. And even more so in this case, because predominantly what we see a lot of portfolios made up of is U.S. large companies. It's very common to see 50% of the average individual investor's money in the U.S. large area. Now, if you got 50% in the U.S. large area and, and five companies make up 23% of 500 of the companies, you can see that you're heavily weighted, heavily weighted into tech. This is uh, kind of a different picture, but a very similar uh, underground and underpinning of what we saw in the tech bubble. Uh, there was a whole lot more speculation in that one, of course, but same dynamics here. Uh, very heavily weighted, uh, lack of diversity, going after what's hot rather than understanding the long-term reality of wise, prudent, academic investing is to own equities, diversify, and rebalance. Not to chase what's up per se, but to own it already. 
and to take advantage of owning it from time to time by selling some of it while it's up. You're taking the profit off the table and buying something else by comparison. So I, I just wanted to segue to that. That's very important because a lot of people I believe are going to get hurt, especially if down the road, and I, I, I don't know this, but I'm saying I'm just you know pontificating, would that be the right word? Especially if we look at a situation where maybe deregulation might come or some type of uh, uh, thing uh, policy-wise might change how these large tech companies do business. The interesting thing about why their weighting is so heavy, which is 23% of the S&P 500 compared to 16% in the beginning of this year, which is mind-boggling, uh, is, you know, we had the government basically print $4 trillion because of the COVID thing to help out so many Americans with pay, 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 uh, paycheck protection and so on and so forth. And a lot of people would use it in these companies. I mean, they would buy Apple products or they'd go through Amazon to do a lot of their shopping and so on and so forth. So it, it, it makes sense that a lot of revenue is going through these companies because they provide, uh, you know, convenience, information, products, whatever the respective companies may be, or socially in the case of Facebook. So uh, be careful. This would be a, a, a cautionary tale to not be chasing the market, and it would be predominantly U.S. large, and especially within that, um, being so heavily weighted within a small number of companies and not realizing it, and not realizing it, okay, for that matter. So let's run down to the market update. The next area beyond the S&P 500 growth companies, we're going to look at value companies. So these would be large value companies in the U.S. They're down almost 10% negative Right now, they were down 37% in March. When we go on to small or micro companies, uh, they're down 5.6%. Uh, respectively, it was almost 40% in March. So the market has is, is just rebounded extraordinarily. What's interesting on another side note is U.S. large is doing well because of what I've just mentioned. Uh, at the same time, small is really getting hammered more than normally because of the current COVID. A lot of small businesses uh, are being affected more so than larger businesses as a result of not being able to run at full capacity or whatever the case may be. Uh, that's why we're seeing the area of small micro value, not growth companies, but value companies uh, in uh, the U.S. down 17%. That would be the laggard. Uh, but it was down 44% earlier. Uh, small has been struggling just because there's been so much free money printed that U.S. large companies have taken advantage of. Uh, they borrow a lot of the money when the government puts it out there. They do bond buybacks at lower interest rates because interest rates are lower. And then they take that money and, and buy their stock back, and now they have treasury stock. Uh, so the companies are getting meaner and leaner, these big ones, uh, as a result of really the American taxpayer, I would submit to you, and the, and the different programs available uh, to them, that is money being cheap. Money being cheap is the main reason, not them fraudulently taking advantage of it, but interest rates being so low for so long. Let's move on to the global area now and look at uh, the rest of the world. Morgan Stanley Capital International USA Index. This will be the world index. Uh, and this is a capitalization-weighted index that's designed to measure the equity performance of developed market countries. Um, now, this would exclude the U.S., so it would have all the other major developed countries like Australia, Belgium, Denmark, France, Germany, Hong Kong, Ireland, New Zealand, Portugal, uh, Switzerland, United Kingdom, to name a few. Now, they're down 3.7%, but they were down 33%, so they've come back 30% in the last five months. Uh, when we look at the Morgan Stanley Capital International, EFA, that'd be Euro, uh, Europe, Australia, Far East Index, 
That would be basically measuring the equity performance of developed markets, excluding U.S. and Canada. It was down 4%. It was down 33% uh, in March. Let's take a jump and look at... uh, Let's look at the small cap, EFA small cap, uh, by comparison. Uh, it's down 3.7%. It was 38 When we look at small cap value within the emerging market area, it was down 13% now. Uh, it was down 40 uh, When we look at the emerging market growth area, though, that's actually up. That would be the only area that's up in the uh, uh, international arena, developed and emerging. You have developed markets and you have emerging markets. Okay, your emerging markets would be Argentina, Chile, uh, Egypt, India, Indonesia, Mexico, Peru, Philippines. Not the developed, but uh, emerging markets. And it's up. Uh, It was down, however. Oh, man, it was down 32% before. So what we're seeing across the board is a healthy rebound. Uh, looks like anywhere from 25 to as much as uh, 40% respectively, uh, close to 40% respectively. Um, and so what, at this point, uh, we're seeing a heck of a rebound. It's really extraordinary. A lot of people, uh, of course, all the talking heads thought it would take us years to come back. But those of us that understand the market and the academic realities of it and how it works long-term we understand this too shall pass. It always does. Uh, there's nothing to do uh, when the market takes a dump, just like there's nothing to do when the market is soaring, except own it all, diversify, and, and rebalance. Uh, own equities, diversify, and rebalance. And hopefully treat savings like a bill. You know, one of the, one of the things I wanted to, one of the one, one of the ones, one of the things that I wanted to mention to you today was how we can encourage people to save. And I think a lot of times we don't think about this. We get overwhelmed with the different stats and stuff. But eight, but I found the best way for people to save money uh, and save for their future is to treat savings like a bill. To, to literally have it come out of your, your checking account and go somewhere, wherever that may be, on a regular basis so it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Uh, and I find that what happens when people start that pattern, that habit develops, and they'll look at it, uh, 12 months, 18 months, two months, five years later and go, oh my goodness, wow, look how much this is accrued to. Just that 10 bucks a month, that 50 bucks a month, that 100 bucks a month, depending on where you are, your uh, your lifestyle and so on and so forth. Uh, so it's the old concept of water dripping. You know, water dripping consistently can bore a hole through marble. We think about uh, the time value of money. Uh, this is why it's so important to invest and understand you can't time the market. You can't beat the market. Uh, uh, 15% of the money managers get a market rate of return. That means 85% of the money managers don't get a market rate of return. Whatever the market will bear, it's generally under what the market performed. So uh, it's tough. And these are professionals. It's tough to, to call it. It's better to own equities, diversify, and rebalance. One other thing before I leave with you today is I wanted to mention oil, which is interesting. Uh, Now, we do have this current hurricane environment right now, although it's not going to affect us too much. It is short-term affecting us because of some refineries down in Louisiana, although it doesn't seem like they lost capacity. It's just going to take four to eight weeks for them to get back up and going. But it looks like um, it's about 42 bucks a barrel right now. Uh, That might vary just a little bit uh, in the next, uh, like I say, short-term because of that refinery. But everything's going well. But it was interestingly back in March, it was twenty three bucks, twenty five bucks a barrel, basically twenty four ninety three uh, a barrel. Uh, so oil has uh, gone up dramatically in the last five months. Um, interestingly, gold—that's the story. I, I've been sharing with friends and family, uh, and these are people 
that uh, we have some of these conversations with uh, a little off the cuff, so to speak. And uh, the question about gold, sell it. That would be my recommendation. That would be my personal recommendation. Uh, now, we own gold because we have a well-diversified portfolio and companies own gold and they own gold mines and they own gold this and that. So if you own a well-diversified portfolio, you're already going to own gold. So the question is, should you hold gold outside of that? Should you double down, so to speak? And I would submit to you, a lot of people have been doing that. It started back in 08 uh, uh, as the as Bush was leaving and uh, the credit debacle, debacle happened and Obama was coming in and the TARP money, I mean, uh, the uncertainty created what normally happens and that is people running toward gold. The reason the market went down 30, 40% wasn't because the value of the market was down 30 or 40%. It's because the perception of what was going to happen to the market was what people sold on. And they went out and, and did that, and money's gradually started coming back into the market again. But when that happens, gold is going to go up. Now, gold was fourteen ninety five on March twenty third. Now it's nineteen fifty, four hundred and fifty dollars more, thirty percent increase. Ironically, about what the market went down. Huh? Go figure. Gold is one of those things that that people. And I'm going to respectfully say this because. If you're one that owns a lot, you're the one that needs to be kind of said, hey, listen, you need to maybe rethink this. Uh, but what happens is for those of us, and I come from a Joe Lunchbucket, blue collar, very kind of modest background uh, that a lot of us didn't know much about investing. We thought gold was the greatest thing. I mean, that's what you invest in. Uh, but gold is a hedge against inflation. As I've just expressed, the market's down 30% in the comparison from March to now, and that's what gold's up. And what's going to happen is a lot of people are going to go out and buy gold and think it's a good thing. You know, grandma and, and Uncle Lou and, you know, your cousin Betsy. And they're thinking, yeah, it's a good investment. And they might brag a little bit about it uh, when Thanksgiving comes around. Uh, but they're going to sit on it for a long time, more than likely. There was a time when gold was 320 bucks an ounce for, I think, almost 30 years. Uh, it jumped up with the credit debacle in 08 into the 12s, 14s, even got as high as 18. A lot of people bought it way up there. It went back down and hovered around 14 for quite a while. I want to say a few years, several years. So uh, we got to be careful about this kind of stuff, this water cooler conversation. If you don't know what's going on, I don't think you want to go talk to the guy at the water cooler and ask him what's going on. How's he going to be able to help you? I would say respectfully. If he knew what was going on, then he would be in a, in a different position. And why would he share it with you if he knew? That's what's interesting about these newsletters you hear about all the time and these different uh, people talking about this, that, and actually charging you for a newsletter. Well, if their recipe was so good, why would they need to sell it? I mean, if, they, if, it, was, if it was something that was a real winner, wouldn't they be on a beach somewhere and just do their little bit of computer work in the morning and enjoy their family and their life the rest of the day? Well, you know, no. Obviously, they're not. Otherwise, they wouldn't need to be selling a newsletter. Uh, but uh, with that being said, it's very easy to get a lot of information off the cuff and off the water cooler, and uh, it doesn't serve us well uh, because almost always the emotional uh, choices that we make come back and bite us. I'm sure you would agree with that if you really thought about it for a while, and I respectfully ask you to ponder on it. And that's, of course, is Paul's opinion, but you're welcome to it. Uh, I enjoyed being with you here for a few minutes. I hope this was enriching in some way, shape, or form. If you ever have any questions, related to finance, if you want to get coached up, 
Uh, we have a process for that. Uh, don't worry about uh, uh, fees and all that type of stuff. Uh, the main thing is learning and learning that perhaps we can be of service to you. Perhaps we can't, but we can lead you to somebody who can. The main thing is you start looking and seeking out uh, advice because none of us can be an expert in all area. That's why we have professional people that we go to. And it's the same in finance, which is interestingly a, a statistic I just read that it's one of the uh, the hottest jobs to seek out, one of the top 10 jobs right now, which tells us there's a lot of people leaving the industry. Uh, we need some younger blood coming in. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity out there. There's a, certainly a lot of uh, things going on and information. It's important that we understand uh, how to discern that stuff and how it applies to us. You don't need to know everything, but you do need to know the few right things. With that being said, thanks for your ear. Thanks for your time. My name is Paul Nichols, the Investor Coach, pulling back the curtain on the financial services industry. And again, if you need anything, give us a call at 814-867-5745 or check out our website, www.faicoach.com. F-A-I-Coach.com. Thank you. Have a great day.